Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this uh, brand new edition of the MLEX Test Prep Podcast. Of course, my name is David. I am your host on this wonderful, fabulous, amazing journey through the world of the massage and bodywork licensing exam. So, of course, we uh, we have a little bit of a situation going on in the world right now. Uh, the, uh, the huge pandemic and everything. Uh, that's what not, this is not what this podcast is going to be about. Today, however, maybe in the future, I can do a podcast about respiratory uh, infections or uh, something like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to uh, to escape from all of the uh, all of the talk about the coronavirus these days. So, um, just everybody out there, if you're listening to this, and it is during the time where the pandemic is ongoing, uh, try to stay safe, make sure you're practicing proper hygiene. And of course, massage therapists, we should all know about proper hygiene. That is a, a huge thing in the world of massage therapy. So practice your hand washing and, and, uh, sneezing, coughing into your, into your elbow, the antecubital region, of course. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's about all I can say. Uh, Stay away from each other. I don't know. Maybe don't do massages during this time. You never know. You never know. Uh, so, of course, I do have study guides available. The Inblex Test Prep Comprehensive Study Guide and Workbook 2020 Edition is available on Amazon.com. You can find that. Just go to Amazon.com, type in Inblex Test Prep. Um, you can search for not my name, David Merlino. That's Merlin with an O at the end. Or you can go to MblexTestPrep.com, and you can find the study guide there, uh, which will redirect you to Amazon. So definitely uh, pick one of those up if if you have not yet. Um, these times it's it's I know everybody's um, it, it's a it's a hard time for people with with money, and I am uh, no different, of course, small business owners. So uh, if you're looking for a study guide, please uh, consider mine. I'm a small business owner. I'm I'm just one guy trying to make it in this crazy world. If you have my study guide, I would appreciate leaving a. I appreciate it if you would leave a review of that study guide on Amazon for me. Uh, reviews are how I make my money, and they go a long way towards helping me provide for my family. And I would really appreciate um, appreciate that. I, I I really appreciate every single review I get on my books. Okay, so I'm um, gonna take a quick break. When we, when I, or you too, I don't know. When we return, we'll just say that. When we return, we will get started. Welcome back. Uh, we well, let's begin. Let's let's begin. All right. So today we're going to talk about the tissue that we have in the body. Now we have a few different types of tissue. How many types of tissue do we have in the human body, do you think? How many different types of tissue do we have in the body? All right, the answer is four. We have four different types of tissue in the body. So what are the four types of tissue in the body? Go ahead and and you can pause it right now and try to come up with the four types of tissue that every person has in their body. Um, what do you think? All right, so we have, again, four different types of tissue. We have epithelial tissue. We have muscle tissue. 
we have connective tissue and we have nervous tissue. All right, so everything in the body is made of one of those, those four types of tissue. Okay, so it's, I mean, it, it seems like there's a ton in the body. And, and yeah, there is a ton in the body. And, there, and of course, each one of these tissues can be uh, kind of slightly different than others, whereas, you know, there, there are a ton of different types of connective tissue. There are only three types of muscle tissue, however. And there, and as far as epithelial tissue, there, there, you know, if we're talking about like the epidermis, there are five separate layers of epidermis. Um, so there, there are different types of these tissue. There are, there are subcategories of each one of these tissues, but everything is considered one of these four types of tissue. Okay, so we'll start with um, how we're going to do this. We're going to go over what the tissues are. Of course, we just went over you know the the four main types. So what the tissues are, what they're made of, how they're how they're made, and what they're used for. And what these tissues actually make, okay? So we'll start with epithelial tissue. So we have a, a pretty good amount of epithelial tissue in our body. What's the, what's the main place you find epithelial tissue that you can think of in the body? What do you think? Well, definitely the skin is made of epithelial tissue, okay? What are some other structures in the body that are going to contain epithelial tissue because there are quite a bit any area of the body that has a mucous membrane is made of epithelial tissue so think of parts of the body that have mucous membranes what about our respiratory passages uh the lungs what about our digestive tract? I mean, the stomach makes a ton of mucus, right? Um, to, to keep the stomach acids from eroding the walls of the stomach and causing ulcers. There's a ton of mucus in there. That, the digestive tract is made of epithelial tissue. The small intestine, the large intestine, the esophagus, the linings of the mouth. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's everywhere, in the body. You have a ton of epithelial tissue in the body. Okay, so we know what epithelial tissue makes, right? We just kind of went over that. It makes the skin, the epidermis. It makes the respiratory passages, makes the digestive tract. So knowing that it makes those things, those specific things, those specific structures in the body, we should be able to figure out what it actually does. For the body. So, what are some things that all of those do for the body? And there are three main, um, uh, we'll say, uh, actions of epithelial tissue, what they do, what epithelial tissue does for the body. Okay. So, what does epithelial tissue do? Think about the skin. What does the skin do? Now, the skin's primary. Uh, function is to protect the body. Now, the skin and mucous membranes are the body's first line of defense against pathogens and trauma, right? So the, the skin, when, when somebody hits our, our body, it's the skin that protects all the underlying structures like blood vessels and bones and, and muscles and prevents really a lot of damage from occurring. 
Okay, so protection. Now think about the mucous membranes. Uh, when we produce mucus, it's to protect the body in some way, like how the stomach makes uh, a heavy coating of mucus inside the stomach to protect itself from the stomach acid that breaks down our food, hydrochloric acid. What about the mucus in the nose? Mucus in the nose is there to protect us as well. It keeps dirt and debris from entering into our respiratory tract. And uh, we have mucus in our trachea, in our bronchial tubes, for the same reason, right? So that's, and in people like me who have asthma or people with something like chronic bronchitis, uh, you can have an, an excessive amount of mucus being produced, which can maybe cause a little bit of problems in some people, in some cases. But that's it. Listen, another story for another time. Like I said, so one of these days I'll do a uh, an episode on respiratory infections. Um, so the mucus in our respiratory tract helps protect us from dirt and debris entering into our uh, and into our lungs and affecting our ability to properly breathe. Okay. Now, what are some other structures? Now, I, I did not mention these. What are some other structures in the skin that help to protect the body? It's not just the, the layers of the tissue, the epithelial tissue that make the skin that helps to protect us. There are other ways that we can be protected because of certain epithelial tissue. And I know I didn't mention this. I apologize. So what else in the skin can help protect us? Think about homeostasis and how homeostasis works, and specifically with body temperature. What do we have in the skin that helps to regulate our body temperature? In our skin, we have sweat glands, right? We also have oil glands, which can help protect us as well. It's another another layer of protection against pathogens and debris. Okay. But in our skin, we also have glands. Like I said, glands are also made of epithelial tissue. Okay. So what do glands do? What is the primary function of glands? Not just the glands in the skin either. I'm talking about endocrine glands, which you can listen to uh, an episode about. I can't remember which episode. Episode 13, I think, something like that. Uh, go back and listen. I, I explain all about the uh, the major endocrine glands in the body, but what do endocrine glands do? Endocrine glands, exocrine glands, what do glands do, period? Glands secrete, okay? So protection, secretion. So we got our sebaceous glands, our sudoriferous glands, and all of our endocrine glands in the body are made of epithelial tissue, so they help to secrete substances okay and where they secrete and what they secrete kind of determines if they're if it's an endocrine gland or an exocrine gland endocrine glands secrete hormones into something like the bloodstream exocrine glands secrete other substances like sweat and oil and saliva onto a surface okay so so we got protection secretion what does the skin do what does the small intestine do? What does the large intestine do? 
what what are functions? What okay, let's let's think about the skin. What does the skin do when you put lotion on it? What does it do with the lotion? What does the small intestine do to the nutrients after it's after they've been broken down by the stomach? What does the large intestine do with water? All of these structures absorb things. Okay, so when you put lotion on the skin, it absorbs it. Um, so there, there are certain types of medications, um, pain medications, that you can have put. That, that can be applied to your body with a transdermal patch, and the patch goes directly on the skin, and the skin absorbs the medication that way. Okay, So the skin absorbs. The small intestine absorbs nutrients after they've been digested by the stomach and the duodenum. The large intestine absorbs water. Okay, So epithelial tissue, protection, secretion, absorption are the three main functions of epithelial tissue. And of course you have uh, structures made of epithelial tissue. Let's see, we've got the, the skin, we've got all the glands in the body, we've got the respiratory passages, the digestive tract, any mucous membrane is going to be made of epithelial tissue. Okay. So the next type of tissue, of course, uh, what do we say? Muscular tissue. Uh, I like to call it David tissue because I'm, uh, well, I know you can't, can't really see me uh, contracting right now. But uh, I like to think I'm somewhat, somewhat muscular. 24-inch pythons, of course. Anyway, uh, so we have, we have three types of muscles. Three types of muscle tissue. So what are the three types of muscle tissue? Three types of muscle tissue. First, we'll start with skeletal muscle. Then we have cardiac muscle, and the last type of muscle, smooth muscle. Okay, so a couple of these are involuntary, meaning you cannot control them. You can influence the muscles, but you can't actually contract them yourself. You can't consciously contract these muscles. One of them you can. So which muscle can you actually contract by thinking about contracting that muscle? The muscle that you can control and contract is skeletal muscle. What's a skeletal muscle attached to? Now you, should, you should be able to figure this out, I think. Skeletal muscle attaches to the skeleton, which is why it's called skeletal muscle. So when you contract skeletal muscle, what happens? When we contract skeletal muscle, the muscle shortens, tightens, contracts, and again, read, uh, read, listen to the episode I did on muscle contractions. I I can't I can't remember which which a uh, number it was. It's on there somewhere. Listen to that episode for all the muscle contractions. Um, but when we contract skeletal muscle, the muscle tightens, shortens, and it pulls on the skeleton. When it pulls on the skeleton at the insertion, it causes the skeleton to move at a joint. So skeletal muscle allows movement to take place. What else does skeletal muscle do? Skeletal muscle is really important for our body and our survival. What does it do to help us survive? 
Now we go back to kind of homeostasis again. In regards to homeostasis, what does skeletal muscle do for us? Specifically with temperature. What do you think? Skeletal muscle, in regards to temperature, a skeletal muscle is constantly twitching, even if you can't feel it. And most of the time, you cannot feel the twitching that occurs with skeletal muscle. But every time the muscle twitches, it produces a little bit of heat. So the reason we are able to maintain our body temperature is because of skeletal muscle. Very fine contractions of that muscle produces our body heat. Okay? So when... Our body temperature drops a little too low, and you know maybe it's cold out. I forgot my jacket, whatever. Um, my body will start to shiver, noticeably shiver, and that means the body is trying to increase the body temperature at at a rate where it's like if you don't get the body temperature up uh, quickly, then we could have problems. You could have something like hypothermia. Okay, so that's when you really notice the the twitching of the muscles when you are doing something like shivering. Okay, so that's skeletal muscles. So skeletal muscle provides movement and provides body heat. Also helps us to do things like stand, provides support for the body, a little bit of cushion for the body, protection for the body as well in certain parts. Um, our major arteries in most parts of the body are kind of protected by really thick muscles. Think about the, um, think about like the femoral artery. Uh, think about the inferior or the, or the abdominal aorta and the inferior vena cava. Uh, those are all protected by the, um, by the abdominal muscles. So muscles can help to provide a little bit of protection too. Okay. So the next type of muscle we have is cardiac muscle. So you should know where cardiac muscle is just by looking at the name. Cardiac refers to the heart. So the heart is made of muscle, right? So the the heart is made of cardiac muscle and that's the only place in the body you find cardiac muscle is is the heart. And under a microscope, it, it kind of looks like um, like a bunch of tree branches. So it's called branching muscle as well. Um, and that's about it. I mean, when it all it does is is contract, and that sends blood from one part of the body to another. So, and I've got another episode on the heart. So make sure you listen to that uh, if you need to brush up on the heart at all. Definitely listen to that episode. I think that was episode three. I want to say it was three. Uh, so definitely listen to that. Okay. So the third type of muscle. Oh, re really quick, fun fact about cardiac muscle. Cardiac muscle can actually uh, stimulate itself. It actually doesn't need the brain to tell it what to do, it, it kind of works on its own. So when somebody has some sort of brain injury like a concussion and the brain is just kind of all over the place or or just not functioning at all for a, for a moment or two, the heart can kind of take over its own pumping and keep the blood pumping even when the brain isn't exactly able to tell it to. So that's a little fun uh, fun thing about the heart. Very interesting. So the third type of muscle, of course, 
is smooth muscle. So where where can you find smooth muscle in the body, do you think? Where can you find smooth muscle? We have it kind of all over the body. You have it in the skin. You have it in the respiratory tract. You have it in the digestive tract. Okay. So if, let's let's stick with the digestive tract because that's that's kind of the really important place you find smooth muscle. What does smooth muscle do for in the in the digestive tract that helps us to survive? Smooth muscle is responsible for peristalsis. Okay, peristalsis is rhythmic contractions of smooth muscle that help to kind of rhythmically force food through the digestive tract and move it along. The food just doesn't slide on its own if, if we didn't have that smooth muscle. Think of, think of it like, kind of like a, a tube of toothpaste, how you have to actually squeeze it to get the toothpaste to come out. The digestive tract is, is the same thing. So you need to have something to squeeze, something like the esophagus, or the small intestine, or the large intestine, to get the nutrients or the waste products, once it's in the large intestine, to move further through those organs. Okay, so peristalsis is that rhythmic contraction. Okay, so think, again, we'll, we'll just imagine that, uh, that tube of toothpaste. So if you squeeze it at in the middle... Right. Let's, let's say I'm trying to get all of the toothpaste out. I squeeze it in the middle. Yeah, a little comes out at the ends. But then I got two big clumps on either side of the middle. So then I'd squeeze like uh, either side, and then that would move. That would either move the rest of it out, uh, the closer to the end, or at the very. Um, very beginning of the tube of toothpaste, you'd have just a little bit left. You squeeze that, it moves it closer into the into the middle part. Then you squeeze the middle part, and that moves that further. And then you squeeze the very end, and then it goes out of the out of the uh, tube. So that's kind of a visualization of what happens with peristalsis. So it's just kind of kind of a rolling uh, rhythmic contraction of smooth muscle that helps to move food through the digestive tract. Okay, in the skin when our body gets cold or if we get nervous or or something like that the smooth muscle will stand up what is the name of that smooth muscle that stands up in our skin stands stands hair up i should say the name of that muscle is the erector pili muscle erect means stand up pili means hairs okay so it stands our hairs up. So it's it's basically what gives us goosebumps. So attached to each one of those hairs is a small little piece of smooth muscle. So when that contracts, stands the hair up, gives us goosebumps. It's more of a defense mechanism uh, than anything. Uh, kind of, it, it's it's more useful in animals as opposed to humans because animals have a thick layer of fur and when it stands when the hair stands up like that because of the erector pili muscles it creates kind of a, a thin little layer between the hair and the skin where where warm air can be trapped so it creates kind of like a blanket at that point so humans not it doesn't really do a whole lot um, but animals definitely useful okay 
and in the respiratory passages, if if it kind of feels that there's some sort of irritant entering into an area like the lungs, it'll kind of tighten that up and try to prevent things like smoke and dust from entering into the lungs. And in people with something like asthma, uh, like me, the smooth muscle can tighten just a little too much and then you can have too much mucus being produced and that's what causes a restriction in the flow of air. I know it doesn't seem like I have asthma. I, I'm talking nonstop, it seems like. But uh, um, if you ever hear somebody wheezing, that's the sound of air trying to pass through those those uh, airways that are closed off, tightened up because of an increased amount of mucus and smooth muscle tightening the bronchial tubes. Okay, so those are our three types of muscle. Again, we got skeletal, cardiac, and smooth. Okay, moving on, connective tissue. So we have a lot of different types of connective tissue and each connective tissue has a different um, different function for our body. So what are some different types of connective tissue? What do you think? Let's name some connective tissue. So what do we think connective tissue? What about uh, tendons? What about ligaments? Those are connective tissue, right? What about fascia? Fascia is definitely a connective tissue. How about bone? Is bone a connective tissue? Well, I know it's not a muscle. I know it's not epithelial tissue. I know it's not nervous tissue. Bone isn't a nerve, so it has to be connective tissue. Bone is connective tissue. And that's that's one that a lot of people are like, oh, it's uh, skeletal tissue. The skeleton is a type of tissue, right? No. It's, it's, the bone is connective tissue. Okay, what else? Our blood vessels are made of connective tissue. What helps um, seals, sea lions, whales? What helps them from getting too cold when they're in that in that really cold water? They have an increased amount of fat. Okay, so adipose is a form of connective tissue. Are there any others? Am I am I missing some? What's the most abundant form of connective tissue in the body? Hmm. Oh, I know. It's blood. Of course, blood is uh, is a type of connective tissue as well. And I did do an episode on blood. I can't remember which one, which number it was. Uh, go look it up. Man, I'm, I'm just reference, referencing all these episodes uh, that I've already done. So definitely go listen to that episode on blood. That's a good episode. You should, you should know blood for sure. Uh, so all of those are different types of connective tissue. Okay. So what are some functions of connective tissues? Like what, the, what do bones do? Specifically, think of, think of the skull. What does the skull do? What do the ribs do? What are they used for? The skull and the ribs are primarily there to protect things, right? So connective tissue can protect. What do tendons and ligaments do? And fascia as well. What do all of those do? I mean, what type of tissue are they? They are all connective tissue, right? Connective tissue connects things. I mean, that's that just makes too much sense. So ligaments connect bones to bones. Tendons connect muscles to bones. Fascia connects pretty much everything. What is, what is the opposite of connecting things? 
Because connective tissue actually does this too, which is weird. Connective tissue also separates things. There are some... Another form of connective tissue is, is the serous membranes. And serous membranes are around specific organs like the heart, the lungs, all of the abdominal organs except the kidneys. Um, and those help to separate structures and keep those organs from rubbing against each other and producing friction and, and uh, possibly damaging those structures. Like you don't want the heart and the lungs not only rubbing against each other, but rubbing directly up against bones. So, so serous membranes surround those organs and keep those organs from possibly being injured. Okay, so we got protection, we got connection, we got uh, separation. What else do the bones do? What happens inside the bones, specifically the long bones in a younger person? What happens in the long bones? Something is produced, a really important something for the body, that I think I just referenced another type of connective tissue that I didn't in an entire episode on. Blood is produced, specifically red blood cells are produced in the bones, uh, in the long bones in a younger person, and as the person ages, it moves blood cell production, red blood cell production, hematopoiesis, it's known as, uh, moves into flat bones like the ribs, the scapula, the pelvis. Okay, so the, the bones create red blood cells. What else? Adipose helps to regulate body temperature. Adipose also helps to protect by giving us a little bit of cushion on certain areas of the body. Okay. What else? Anything else? I don't know. That I think that just about covers connective tissue, right? So we have all those different types of connective tissue. We've got bones, tendons, ligaments, uh, blood, serous membranes, adipose, uh, lots of lots lots of different types of connective tissue in the body, um, and again helps to protect, connect, separate. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's essentially it. Uh, transportation, of course, blood transports things, so that's another function of connective tissue, of course. Um, all right, moving on. Our last tissue to talk about is nervous tissue. Always makes me nervous talking about nervous tissue. So what are a couple major structures? I'm looking for three. We'll say three three major structures in the body that are made of nervous tissue. And you should be able to figure out one just by looking at the name, right? Nervous tissue. Nervous tissue makes nerves. One would assume, right? Nervous tissue does make nerves, yes. What else does nervous tissue make? I'll give you a hint. You're using this right now as I'm asking these questions. I'm asking you questions. You are thinking about them, using what tissue? How about the brain? The brain is made of nervous tissue, right? I would hope so. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure the brain is made of nervous tissue. So what connects the brain to all of the spinal nerves that innervate all of our muscles and help us to do things like move? 
So coming out, so think of our brain, and then coming out inferiorly from the brain, we have goes in the vertebrae, in the vertebral canal. And this is what spinal nerves emerge from. Spinal nerves, which I've done an episode on. Make sure you check that out. Again, I don't know which number episode that is. Spinal nerves emerge from the spinal cord. Okay, So all of those structures are made of nervous tissue. So we have the brain, spinal cord, and nerves, all made of nervous tissue. So what are some things that nervous tissue helps us do? Nervous tissue is responsible for what you're doing right now, thinking. Nervous tissue is responsible for doing what you're doing right now. Again, interpreting sensation. So the sensation you're at least using right now is hearing, right? Probably taste, smell, touch, proprioception. Your own, you figuring out where you are in space, of course. Pain, um, pressure. Lots of different things that the brain interprets. Okay, it lets us do things like communicate, gives us our emotions, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, lots of stuff nervous tissue does in the brain. Okay, the spinal cords is more of a pathway for all of these impulses to kind of travel along as they're going to places like the spinal nerves that help to. Well, we'll talk about that. Uh, the, the spinal cord also helps to regulate our reflexes. So there's a reason reflexes are involuntary. So if we have if we come into contact with some sort of stimulus, um, like let's say I step on a tap, or I'll, we'll say I, I touch a hot stove or something, my body detects that there could be damage occurring, so it makes me pull my hand away before I even realize that it's possibly damaged or burned, right? That's a reflex. So the stimulus would go to the spinal cord. The spinal cord would process process that information and then send an impulse back to my body to tell me how to respond to that stimulus. So that's why we don't even think about it because the impulse never even gets up to the brain. So our, our body's weird. It's, it's got fun ways of uh, figuring this stuff out. Um, helps to protect us, of course. So what does nervous tissue do in, in regards to movement? Nervous tissue stimulates our skeletal muscle, which tells us to move. That's why some people that are paralyzed in some way can't move certain parts of the body because maybe they have an injury at the spinal cord um, that could prevent an impulse from traveling to the, the skeletal muscle to tell us to actually move, right? So nervous tissue helps to produce movement, produce things like peristalsis, controls the heart. It can control the lowering of our heart rate. That's the vagus nerve that controls that, one of our cranial nerves, cranial nerve 10. Uh, the phrenic nerve helps to control our breathing. That controls the diaphragm, 
Phrenic means diaphragm. So lots of fun things that the nervous tissue actually does. So let's talk about a neuron. A neuron is a nerve cell, right? And all the let's talk about all the parts of a neuron. Okay, so the cell body of a neuron contains the nucleus, and of course, like any cell, the nucleus is kind of where it figures everything out. Like when an impulse makes it into the cell, the nucleus determines, eh, where does this need to go? Does it need to go here? Is this its final destination? Uh, figures it all out, okay? Branching off, branching off, keywords, the cell body of a neuron are these several small projections that are named after what they look like. They are branching off. That's the that's a key word, like I said, branching off. What do you think? Now, these projections are called dendrites. Dendro means tree. Ite means little. So they look like uh, little trees branching off the entire cell body, and these are responsible for bringing impulses into the cell body itself. Okay, so the dendrites, uh, a lot of people think of them as like little fingers. That's kind of the the, the way we we present it in class when we are teaching. Like we hold our fingers up like, yeah, they're little fingers. But uh, they, they're more similar to tree. Just think of a tree in the winter, and uh, that's kind of what dendrites look like. Okay, little trees. Okay, so that brings impulses into the cell body. After the nucleus figures out what to do with the impulse, it sends it out of the cell body on another really long projection, which is called an axon. Okay, So the axon will take that impulse to another part of the body, to another neuron or to a muscle, where it will innervate that muscle and provide stimulation to that muscle. Okay. And, of course, surrounding the axon, which helps to protect and insulate the axon. Now, people with multiple sclerosis, which is an autoimmune disorder, have issues with this, producing scar tissue on the axon when it's degenerated. This is called myelin sheaths. Okay, So myelin sheaths help to protect and insulate the axon. And in something like multiple sclerosis, where you have the body's immune system destroying the myelin sheaths and creating scar tissue on top of the axon, uh, it can be really painful and cause impulses to uh, not go where they're intended to go, fire off and affect other tissues, or or you can lose you know partial function sometimes because of multiple sclerosis. Yeah, it's, it's not a not a pretty thing. So. Um, Anyway, so that's, uh, I mean, that kind of wraps it up with nervous tissue. So nervous tissue helps us think, uh, gives us our, our personality, attitude, etc. cetera, uh, stimulates muscles, helps kind of regulate everything in the body, helps to tell organs to contract, muscles and organs to contract, which helps us do stuff like uh, perform peristalsis, helps the heart, uh, helps regulate the heartbeat, lower the heart rate when it needs to be lowered uh, using the vagus nerve and, and uh, controlling skeletal muscle, uh, voluntary actions, of course. So those are our four types of tissue. Again, we got epithelial tissue, muscular tissue, connective tissue, and nervous tissue. Okay, so 
I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, uh, we'll do something I haven't decided yet. That's kind of why I need to take a break, figure out what we're doing after uh, this. So I will be right back. Welcome back. Okay, so I'm not doing question of the week again. Uh, I, th I think it's um, really important to actually talk about testing techniques or, and studying techniques uh, specifically in this uh, current time since that's really all you're going to be able to do. Uh, I, I know this might be kind of a snapshot in time, and I'm sure people are going to be listening to this for, for a few years down the road, but uh, right now everybody's just kind of stuck inside, so... Uh, studying is really important. So when you are taking a test, something you should really be doing, anytime you take a practice test, when you get a question wrong, you should be researching why you got the question wrong. If you get a question right, but you don't recognize one of the incorrect answers, then you should be researching that as well. So, especially if it, it, when you get a question wrong, uh, you want to research why the question is wrong, not just look up the answer and say, oh, okay, it's it's this one. You need to actually make index cards, flashcards, uh, make notes, write down notes, um, do some research about what it is that you selected as your answer. So the next time you get something involving that answer on your test, you'll actually know what it is, and that'll increase your likelihood of getting that question right if you see it on the test at another time, okay? So, yeah, we, we want to feel good, and we want to get questions right, and we, we you know, anytime we are confronted with failure, quote-unquote failure, uh, like getting a question wrong, we just want to kind of ignore it. But ignoring it isn't going to help you get better. So if you get a question wrong, you need to figure out why you got the question wrong. You need to look at that information and see, hey, is, is, did I just mix up a term? Did I just read the question too quickly? Did I not read all of the answers? Did I not identify keywords? Did I change my answer? <laughs> because I know you do that. Everybody does that, all right? Knock it off. Don't change your answers. Uh, we'll talk about that another time, of course. Um, but you you need to actually research the stuff that you get wrong as well so that you are more prepared for when you see that stuff in the future, okay? So don't take it as, as one of those things where it's like, oh, I got this question wrong. I just need to look up what the right answer is and then and then move on with it and never think about it again. Those are the ones you need to really be paying attention to is the ones you get wrong, okay? Because that can, that can make you better, make you more prepared for the for when the time comes where you can actually take the test and apply your newfound knowledge after you learn about the stuff that you got incorrect, okay? So, again, one last time, when you get a question wrong, you need to 
go above and beyond to find out what that information actually is and make sure you get it embedded in your skull. And take notes, make flashcards out of it. Um, really, any question you get wrong, you should be making flashcards out of and then studying that over and over and over again. Okay, and actually, there is there is an app that you can download. Um, it, it's by the people that made the app Duolingo, which is a language learning app, completely free. So if you ever want to learn another language, which I highly recommend if you're doing something uh, medical related, learning some sort of romance language like French or Italian or Spanish or uh, or Portuguese or Romanian, you learn one of those, and it can make learning a lot of the medical terms easier or vice versa. If you know medical terms, you already know a lot of one of those languages like Spanish. Okay. So, uh, Duolingo, I highly recommend, uh, you can speak, you, you can learn to speak a lot of languages, but especially those languages because they're so closely connected to medical terminology. Um, but the app that I'm specifically referencing that one, the language learning is Duolingo, D-U-O-L-I-N-G-O, Duolingo, definitely check that out. But that company also made one called Tiny Cards, I believe. Uh, just let me grab my phone. I wasn't planning on referencing this, so I have to I have to look. Where is it on my phone? Yes, Tiny Cards, all one word. Um, so, and they kind of do the same thing where you make your flashcards, and if you get incorrect, then... Then while you're while you're going through your flashcards, it's set up kind of like a, a little exam. So you, you if you get if you get the answer right, then you won't get that card again. But if you get it wrong, then later on you'll get that again until you get it right, and it'll keep giving you that card over and over and over again until you get it right, and then it'll keep referencing that card. Uh, it'll kind of kind of pick up that you need to work on that card, and it'll keep asking you about that card until you get that answer right. So uh, highly recommend. Tiny Cards, the app. Uh, make your own flashcards on there. Um, do all that. It's fun stuff. Uh, really effective, I think. I think, anyway. So, uh, that's going to just about wrap it up. I hope that was some uh, useful information on studying a little bit and on all of the body tissues. So, Again, I do have those study guides available, and these days I need all the help I can get trying to trying to make a living uh, when everybody's kind of losing jobs and everything. So if if you're in the market for a study guide, please definitely consider picking mine up. Go to Amazon.com and search for Imblex Test Prep Comprehensive Study Guide and Workbook 2020, or go to ImblexTestPrep.com, and you can uh, find the link there under the study guides section, and I really appreciate it. And of course, please leave a review of my study guide. Every review goes a long way. I really appreciate every single review I get. Um, I couldn't do this without you guys, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Um, so again, this is David. Uh, until next time, uh, adios! Thank you.